Stop asking your buyers to do all the work of scheduling a meeting for you using calendar links. Chronologic AI predicts guests' availability with over 80% accuracy, so you can improve your buyer's experience by allowing them to just click accept on a meeting invite. Chronologic does the work of scheduling the meeting for everyone. Visit chronologic.com forward slash making fun of marketing for your free two-week trial. Trust your gut, isn't it? I think, like you said, trust your gut and go with that and don't try and force fit something. Like you said, you've not poured over it for days. You've just got some robots to generate it. So if it's not yeah. great, <laughs> it's fine to rip it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It doesn't have a personal view of what you're deleting and then can get angry at you no. or something yet. I'd say yet. We'll yeah, see. I know. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Scott Logan, and we're making fun of marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Making Fun of Marketing, where we try to make light of some things that uh, we do that are silly, try to bring some better ideas of how we could do those things better, not just uh, poke fun, even though that is the fun part, and uh, walk away with some tactics and and maybe new strategies that we can go ahead and start employing and, and trying right away. So, Today's topic is content, and we have an amazing content thought leader here, Amy Woods. She's the founder of Content 10X, and her resources and content and assistance can be leveraged at content10x.com. So thank you, Amy, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, looking forward to it. Great. Let's go ahead and start with our usual eye roll moment, if you will. And I'll pose that to you. What are some of the things that we do that you're still thinking, why after all this time, what's the purpose still of X? What is that? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> There's probably quite a few things I could say. I think that something that still like kind of gets to me a little bit is the overgating of content. We work with mainly B2B businesses and actually, you know, mainly tech, sales companies, that kind of industry. And I find that something that I don't quite get the thinking behind in terms of why would you overly gate and ask for a bit too much information to consume like a two hour, fairly sort of technical, maybe quite dry topic webinar that would be useful to somebody, but it's not exactly like the latest, most amazing Netflix series or something like that. It's highly valuable. People will get something from it. And from consuming that content, there are ways that you can nurture and get more information from people and send them elsewhere and things like that. But just slapping a gate and asking for slightly too much information as well on that kind of B2B techie type content is something that I don't quite get. <laughs> I don't think it's the best approach. Yeah, yeah. The whole gating thing. I remember when like early 2000s into 2010 and a little bit into that, we would just gate everything. Mm. And it was the same gate, the same five, six, seven fields. If you wanted to see anything and then be sure that you're going to get a follow-up from someone, even if it's like an infographic. And I think that most of the B2B content is now ungated, mm. but, uh, and we've gone down the road of ungating everything. But there maybe are still some areas where you would gate. What would you still gate? What seems valuable there? Well, I think like 
kind of upgrading the content experience with something that if you're going to get value from this, there's this super simple to download, easily consumable piece of content that is a no-brainer. It's going to be useful to you if this is useful. So I, I think those kinds of pieces of content, and I get it if it's things like asking people to complete some kind of scorecard or something like that, where you can get an email with an in more in-depth report. So we'll give you an overview, but if you want an in-depth report, then here's your email address and things like that. So I think it's just around long form, like really long form content being overly gated, but I think it's absolutely fine for high value snackable or, or like longer written content that contributes, like the white papers that contribute the webinar or something like that. There's a place, 100% there's a place. I just think it's sometimes done in slightly the wrong way. <laughs> okay. Mm. So when you first said upgrade, I thought it would be that teaser information you give away. And then to get the full mm, yeah. webinar content, you would gate that. But that's interesting to say, gate the actual content in its you know, entire form if they're willing to go down that, but then the actionable items, the valuable checklist or the walkthrough or the guide that the webinar or long form content in terms of what you give away for an email address, say, would be the workbook, if you will, to, mm. you know, lack of a better term, the actionable piece that they could use to take home to actually utilize. That's the piece that people would yeah. probably be willing to provide their email for. Yeah, so a great example of that, which covers all three that you just mentioned. So we just kicked off a project today where we're repurposing this webinar that's a bit more like an online course, to be honest, because it's kind of a webinar but has modules to it and things like that. And we're repurposing it into social media content, so breaking it down into snackable, valuable, shorter-form content that adds value in its own right. But if you getting used from this, then go check out the webinar. So the social media content, obviously ungated, and that's repurposed from the main piece. Then the main piece is still ungated. So if you got value from this, go straight over and check out this webinar course. But then if you get value from all of this, the icing on the cake is the ebook that comes with it. It's quite a technical piece of content. So it's full of all the code that you can cut and paste and super, super handy. So it's kind of short form, snackable, useful to a longer form, like highly valuable. But to make this longer form even better, get the ebook and the ebook, give us your email address and we'll get that ebook over to you. So it's kind of covering all three, ungated, ungated, then finally gated. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And I see you have your uh, Content 10X book behind you. One thing that I've seen with another book, if you want to go download the workbook, that mm. goes along with the book, then that is where you go to the website and you provide your email to be able to action that and even follow along because they'll usually mention it during it, that type of thing. But maybe it doesn't have to be a book. Maybe you say it's a webinar and that's for free. And then you go out and get the actual uh, workbook there. Yeah, I think that's a really good approach. I have something similar with my book where 
there's an associated toolkit. So throughout the book, it kind of mentions that if this chapter was really useful, then within the toolkit, there's an entire video tutorial and accompanying templates and swipe files and things like that. So subtly mentions throughout the book that there's the, the toolkit that goes alongside. That's actually a product though. So the toolkit is a purchase. The idea there was if you love all our free content, the books and the, sorry, the blog posts and podcast episodes and things like that, then you might want to buy the book. And then if you buy the book and that's useful, you might want to get the toolkit. So that was like the way we were going. But similar thing, it's like if you purchase this and then you want more, most chapters have some really useful video da, 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 all in the toolkit. So, <laughs> well, What is the ratio of toolkit versus um, those who get the book or, or read the longer form content? Do you see a lot of that conversion happening and the toolkit being downloaded? Or is that still kind of like, a work in progress to try and perfect that. What, what are you seeing there? Yeah, I think it is a work in progress, actually. We haven't been doing lots of advertising, like any sort of push for the toolkit, because we are currently doing this big upgrade of it where we're just kind of going through and updating everything because it was created a few years ago. So I know when we have sales for it, it must be somebody who's bought or reading the book because we're not doing anything else really publicly about it. I would say that I wish I knew. I feel like one of those people who gets asked a question on Shark Tank or in the UK Dragon's Den where you should really know the numbers. I should immediately be telling you a statistic that I know from that. I'm not sure the conversion. I'd probably say maybe, maybe if I compared toolkit sales to book sales, it might be about 20 to 25% of people who buy the book go on and buy toolkit. It's a bit challenging. Books on Amazon and then toolkits on another platform and you don't yeah. get to necessarily find, but I generally think that's about the conversion. Yeah. And I know we're going down this road a lot. I didn't really anticipate it, but now <laughs> I have all these questions popping into my head. For you as a, a thought leader and, and basically content consultant and expertise that you bring, that is the sale. However, what about for like a B2B tech company or just a B2B company in general? And do you still charge for the toolkit as well if they say bought the book or downloaded it are, are you you charging for that or would you suggest oh well that's just the payment is the form completion i completely agree with you it's a bit different for me because content 10x so it's my agency and actually when i wrote the book and launched a toolkit it was probably a bit more heavily personal branded towards me as well in the last few years we've been an agency for just over six years and for the first three or four years, I guess, like I did quite a heavy personal brand play. So when you look at the sort of personal brand ecosystem, it, you've got a business and you've grown a personal brand. It's good ticks in the boxes are to have, you know, that good social presence, become a published author on the, the you know, topic that you're an expert in and have some associated products, blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of following that route, but it would be quite a different route if you were like the author of a book, but it was your expertise as part of an employee <laughs> of an organization, wouldn't it? I think you'd play that slightly differently. You probably would. I don't know. You'd have, I, I don't know what the answer to that is actually, but you would take a different approach, wouldn't you? Wouldn't be quite the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would be thinking if the content was built by the company or with company mm. resources, I would think that you would give the long form from what we've said up to this point yeah. for free per se, mm -hmm. like free being no form. Yeah. And then 
the payment would be the form completion on that. But this whole personal brand thing, let's go down that road a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With people building personal brands and like myself, that's one of the things I'm trying to do, but also promote uh, my company at the same time. What is the dynamic shift you're seeing there is kind of a new thing where I guess it's two aspects. One, do you support those who are making personal brands around the topic that your company services and or do you make it, hey, that's a great idea, but we need it to be completely company focused, but still do the quote unquote light personal brand where you're mainly still aligned with the company. What is the uh, difference there? Because I think some companies are thinking, well, I've seen people do this and then they break off and create a consultant company because they do a better job of promoting their personal brand hmm. than they do the actual pushing of the company product. But the more you do that, the less the brand takes off. And, and what's the dynamic there that you've seen work, not work or concerns? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question, isn't it? Because I do think that growing personal brands is really important and really valuable for the businesses that you work for. If you're promoting and sharing your expertise, it helps you. But then through having strong personal brands that represent companies, it's very beneficial for the company as well. But companies can be quite suspicious, as you said, are you going to go off and become really famous and then you're going to get offered in a new job elsewhere and paid more and things like that because it benefits you more than it benefits us. I guess I tend to see that most of the time organizations are more supportive of people growing their personal brand around their expertise. So having even like video content and video teams coming in and sitting down with the different leaders within the organization and helping them to create video content that they can personally share as well as share by the company. But I feel like it's something that not a lot of companies have quite worked out yet in terms of the way that they want to play it. It's still a bit of a fuzzy area that isn't always that clearly well-defined within some companies. I actually have somebody that I'm interviewing on my podcast tomorrow who is the founder of an employee advocacy for called Disseminate. It's nothing new, but like I find it really interesting. So they work with large companies and have a platform that the companies use and subscribe to. And it's a way in which when the company creates and shares content, all the employees can easily share that content. They can go in and they can just automatically share it from their profiles and they can see how many posts have been shared by different people and tailor it. But they can put it on autopilot as well so they don't have to go in. They can just like link their LinkedIn and Twitter and things like that to disseminate and, and tell it how many post to reshare of the company per week or month and it will do it on autopilot for them. I find that really interesting because on the one hand, it's making it really easy for employees to share brand information. But if that employee is also trying to create a personal brand, then expecting them to give up control and put corporate things being shared from their personal profile isn't necessarily going to be the best for them and what they're trying to achieve. So I'm really keen to dig into that conversation of how do you get the you know, that balance, right, of sharing company and business information and building your personal brand. But I, I don't know if you've seen that to be something that's not that clearly well-defined within certain organizations. I don't think a lot have really figured that out fully. I think maybe a handful of years or less ago, it was more mm -hmm. like to use the meme that's out there of 
don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious. <laughs> and you kind of yeah. had to like tiptoe around the topic. Now, I think you're spot on with companies haven't figured it out. Mm. So if you want to do that, you can openly approach them with it and say, listen, this is a way to get really good uh, content. We're not going to give it as many impressions unless you sponsor it. And then mm. they also, I think it's a money thing. They want the company piece to be promoted so that the LinkedIn or social media company can create the revenue stream from it versus, oh, an individual person, we need to promote that because of the latter. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? There's a story, so in the UK, really like a sort of well-known and quite successful agency called Social Chain. And the CEO has gone on to be a dragons on drug, dragons and things like that. He left. And then the lady, the man, the key person who was running it, like the main managing director, she had a really strong personal brand that came quite from nowhere. Like she went from not being on LinkedIn to being named in the top 10 LinkedIn influential voices in wow. the space of a year. And she was working with a personal brand agency, the same agency that was working with the CEO who's gone on to all sorts now. And so they were working with her. I know the owner of the agency and they were working with her to develop this personal brand and get the LinkedIn content out there and things like that. She did great, but had really like people who exactly knew what they were doing to grow her personal brand. The personal brand agency were hired though by the, not by her personally, but by the company yeah. to grow her personal brand. The content was never really about social change. She mainly was an advocate for mental health in the workplace. So she spoke oh. a lot about, yeah, like kind of core personal pillar. So it was an awful lot about mm -hmm. mental health and things like that. And then just about leadership. I don't think ever really saw anything about the actual company she worked for. And I, I remember asking the personal brand agency, but it's funny to me that the company invests in all of that content because it's it, there's never any mention of who she works for um, and it's purely growing her personal brand. And the response was, but you should see how the company has succeeded, how they've soared based on the growth of her personal brand. If you lay it on a chart and like you were looking at her personal brand and just going up in this curve, brand was going more and more and more the company was growing then it's like well that's quite a heavy dependence on somebody then isn't it because like what 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 happens if she leaves? and she did so she doesn't she's not there anymore hasn't affected the company because new people come in and it was handled very well but they got to such a point through not only that obviously many other factors yeah. as well but it was really interesting to see how a pure personal brand play still hugely like impacted the growth of the business that she was managing director of. So, yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. I like that forward thinking by the company to say, yeah. hey, we're going to fund this because it's going to rise tides for all ships, if you will. You'll probably stay there a little bit longer if the company is supporting it and funding it as well, even though inevitably the person may leave, which in this case they did, mm -hmm. it still helps both sides and yeah. it gives a better ramp up to do the hard work of getting that awareness through a more unique way than the traditional, oh, we're just going to sponsor this piece of content now and see how it goes. Exactly. The, the thought process was everybody will leave one day, but it doesn't mean that you underinvest in them whilst they're with you. And this is an important part of investing in people. And we want to show the rest of the world that we invest in our people in this way too. We care about you and your career, whether it's with us or not. But when you're with us, we'll support you and invest in you. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I guess maybe there's a 
case in point of approach your marketing leaders and your business leaders to say, hey, we want to do this. Here's what we've seen happen out there. And this is a passion of mine. So my work is going to be more quality. As long as you're still hitting the metrics and doing the job that you were hired to do, then it's all the better for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I didn't anticipate us going down the personal brand piece. So, but I think it is super important when it comes to content because it's what content is being consumed and what content is easier to promote through all the algorithms that control our world these days. It's not just an email list anymore that is controlling the sharing of content. Thanks for bringing those stories to our attention. Let's shift a little bit. I didn't want to have this completely be focused on AI, but I think that is something that we probably should still touch on. And we'll maybe take a little bit different angle. It's not like, how can it work with us? How can we do it? You know, should we do it? I think that we're all leaning down the path of, is it going to happen? Like my wife just texted me. She's at an educational conference right now in Philadelphia. She's a tech leader at the school district where she manages how to implement technology in the classroom. And the slide that she sent me goes, this seems like it's opposite of what we're seeing in the world. And I don't have my phone. Here's my phone right here, but I'll just tell you what the slide said, where it had not affected by AI. Now, this is the education industry. Marketing and creative were the number one and two things on the list of not affected by AI. (laughs) Really? This isn't right, is it? I'm like, no. (laughs) In (laughs) fact, it's already significantly impacting us. And she's like, yeah, that's what I thought. But I don't think I'm going to stir the pot here on this. It's not worth it. But it's interesting how the different industries are viewing AI like, oh, we're the more affected by Mm -hmm. it right now. I think maybe you're just (laughs) in that world a little bit more. So on that note, what does it mean to use AI? And what are some areas where AI is working really well and areas where AI just isn't even close to there yet? Just from you know, things that I've seen. I think that AI is really good for helping with finessing aspects of content and doing some research for content, but I don't think it's good at the actual creation of uh, content. For example, writing a blog post, it might be good at doing a copy review. Could you improve the opening hook? Can you give me five alternative headlines? Can you develop it further and stuff? So I think that not actually creating content, but actually helping speed up processes and help some aspects of ideation in terms of giving you alternative suggestions from things that you've already come up with. But I feel like, I don't know, in my line of work, we're repurposing content and there's lots of AI tools that exist when it comes to uh, content repurposing, but put your video into this AI tool and it will find the best moments and snip it up and give you uh, short pieces of content from it. Um, I'm sure there are good versions out there, but there's nothing that we've found that we would use yet that is good. We're an agency that our core value is around content, so we can't let anything slip and we haven't found anything that would improve our content from a quality perspective. I'll give you a really funny example because it's making fun of marketing. So there was this tool that I got emailed the other day somebody saying check out our tool that it takes your videos and slices and dices them up for reels and tiktoks and on their actual homepage, they use it as an example which i just thought was really funny is there was a, a video that had two people speaking to each other so there was a camera in the room and they were being interviewed one person was sat to the left one person was sat to the right it was filmed in that horizontal landscape format. Yeah. And the, the reels that they'd 
automatically snipped through the power of AI, took the middle shot of the video. It didn't have either person in their screen. It just had their arms and feet, like, because they were kind of, you know, you saw his feet and he's like, it's hilarious. And I just thought, oh God, this is so bad. Because if we were doing that, we would pan from like when that person's talking to that person's talking and that kind of thing. No panning, anything like that. Didn't even pick up there wasn't a human in the shot and just had the middle with like the camera, bit of hand, bit of foot and voices coming from left and right. You didn't know what was going on. And it was really funny. Also just so funny that they hadn't spotted that was their showcase example on the homepage yeah. of their site. So yeah. clearly early stages of this company and things like that. Another thing, it's not new at all. It's been around for ages. We'll take your long form written content, like your blog posts and your white papers or things like that. And we'll go through it and whip out some tweets. And, you know, before you know it, we'll have generated 20 or 30, 50 tweets for you. Again, we haven't seen anything that does that with any level of quality that you would dream of just tweeting out yeah. things that it comes out with. I was going to have somebody on my podcast who was a founder of a company that did this once, and I didn't want to have them on until I tested the platform because I didn't want to be saying that I thought the platform was really good if I didn't think it was good. So we tried it and we were just in, we were laughing so hard. We had like tears rolling down our faces of the tweaks it was coming out with. It was just so bad and so robotic. There's always needs to be that human side to it. And you can't replace humans. You can't replace creativity. So I think what will be great is that AI can replace a lot of the mundane tasks and speed up some processes, but it won't replace the human review. And hopefully we'll keep creativity with the humans, and then we can use AI to help us implement our creativity by replacing some sort of mundane tasks and things like that. So yeah, it's generating rapidly. We're trying and experimenting with it, but yeah, like it's from a repurposing perspective, there's no generative AI tools that we found that are good for our quality standards, at least anyway. So yeah. You talked about it refining. I've actually done mm. the opposite where I give it an input and I have it write my first draft or whatever, like in chronologic, yeah. we have it in our email builder where we'll write your, we actually call it first draft or write your first draft. And then the human or, or myself or someone on the team will then do the refining of it to like, well, you kind of got it the right way, but it's framed really well. And I didn't have to put the thought into framing it and, and building out the first piece of it. But now I can come in and start to tweak it to, to make it more along the tone that I was looking for. And then there are some use cases, like you mentioned, where it can give better variations of taglines or titles or headlines, and then even say optimize this for SEO around this. It does have that knowledge to be able to give you some better feedback there. Uh, yeah. So perhaps you can even use it for both, but certainly not for the entire process. No, I think when you put something in and get it to help you with the first draft, I agree with you. I think that all comes down to how good your initial prompt is. The quality that comes out is affected by the quality of the prompts that go in and you can do lots to improve that. Yeah, you, mm. you feel beholden to the work that's there or what went yeah. into that and, and trusting that more than your gut. Trust your gut, isn't it? I think, like you said, trust your gut and go with that and don't try and force fit something. 
like you said, you've not poured over it for days. You just got some robot to generate it. So if it's not yeah. great, <laughs> it's fine to rip it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't have a personal view of what you're deleting and then can get angry at you no. or something yet. I'd say yet. We'll yeah, see. I know. Yeah. I was yeah. just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> so along those lines, what are some of the newer pieces of content or newer thought leadership out there that people have maybe experimented with or even just talked about doing that you think is really fascinating? Oh, it's a really tough one. It's not an awful lot that's really fascinated me recently, to be honest. I think there's been so much talk about AI and I've been looking for tools that have really sort of fascinated me and amazed me and, and I haven't really found that yet. But I think the short form content that we're seeing on TikTok and Instagram Reels yeah. and the really creative content that comes from these really short snippets of video. Again, it's nothing new, but I really love what's going on over there. And I really love what can be achieved, you know, in short spaces of time and the creativity and the way to get these points across or evoke some kind of emotion, be it laugh or whatever. And I love the fact that lots of businesses and B in particular that you wouldn't think would necessarily be doing too well with reels and TikToks and YouTube shorts and things like that. I love the fact that there's some companies that have been really smart in managing to jump on trends that are working and, and jump on the viral type content, but with the right spin for them, like what they're marketing, but translating it. So I guess what's really fascinated me is seeing no way did you take that trend that all the kids are doing about this and somehow just nail it by being so creative that you've turned your B2B business about whatever to fit that trend and do a really creative video. So I just love seeing that creativity and I love seeing the businesses who were able to morph into something different, fitting in with both the platform, but still staying true to their message and what they're all about. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I agree. And I think that maybe it is even on that same note with those shorts and the swipeable content that people go down the rabbit hole with is more an entertaining view of things and maybe it's just nothing to do with what you do or lightly relates to it but it follows along with where the the swipeable content is at that moment what the current trend is at the moment and it's more of an entertainment value that drives mm -hmm. awareness uh which is way better awareness than say a display ad days of old perhaps maybe yeah and there's some companies that just do it really well i think and really lead the way like vidyard with their separate sort of media side called sales feed they just do that so well it's still about what they can talk about sales really but that yeah like really clever informative entertaining ways of fitting into the platform and being true to brand yeah <laughs> yeah so let's cut to the end and we're going to try a segment in making fun of marketing alignment of punchlines so i have three questions you can give your one hitter punchline on these three topics. So we'll start with the most annoying thing of content marketing is? Creating content that is just not fit for the platform that you've created it for. So thinking you have a one size fits all approach for every type of platform and not thinking about why people are there. That's mine. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like probably don't put your Grimace commercial yes. or, or instant thing on your homepage or exactly. vice versa, your long page white paper on TikTok. 
probably not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, crazy idea is. Oh, crazy idea. Oh, I'm not feeling so crazy. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we just talked um, about it with the grimace yeah. thing. I was just going to say, I think it's just like getting crazy with how you can manage to find creative ways to get your message into some of the creative, fun, viral things that are going on on the platforms like TikTok. As we just said, to just move with the times and be entertaining and engaging, but stick with your brands. Whichever the trends are that work for you, just go a bit crazy and see if you can create something fun that relates to it. Yeah, and I'll double down on that and say those are the the moments where you're coming up with those ideas that are the most fun days at work because... You're aligned, you're like watching videos where I know in like 2008 to 2012-ish when I was at United Health Group, they literally blocked social media. And we had to ask for permission to mm. get onto Facebook because we wanted to experiment with some Facebook groups. And we couldn't even do that. And also getting the rest of the company in on it. So maybe get some sales reps, some customer success reps, and some of those team members in that can bring everybody together around those really fun creative sessions is fun. I, I would say probably not solidified to just the marketing team. Some of the best ideas that I've had recently have been from our engineer team, honestly. I was like, okay, some meme ideas. And I'm like forcing my brain to think that way. And I brought the engineers into a session and they literally were slacking me like a dozen. Can we even use them? They're like, I created it just now while we're brainstorming. Like, okay, <laughs> this is this is awesome. You're going to be in every session now. <laughs> I absolutely love that. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the last one, most unpopular opinion that you have. Oh, I don't really know whether it's it's unpopular, but on Twitter, I am just a big thumbs down to people who've upgraded so that they can write tweets that are now practically like essays when the whole point of Twitter is to write short you know tweets and communicate short and I just don't do does anyone click on that little show me more and then read yeah. the essay blog post that someone just tweeted out it seems to be quite popular and people talk about it and say oh you know if you get Twitter blue you can write really long tweets I just don't get why you would want to write a blog post as a tweet so I yeah, don't know yeah. if it's the most unpopular opinion, but I don't get it. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> yeah, that goes right aligned with your first one of uh, making sure the content aligns to the form of content that is consumed on that channel. Blog yeah. post, still valuable. Posting it on Twitter, not so valuable. No, work out how to communicate some key points from that post into a interesting tweet <laughs> and then tweet and yeah. then put it out as a tweet. Yeah, I don't know. It's just really weird. I just don't, I, I just never, I, if I click on that expand and see that it's like mountains of content, that's not why I'm on this platform. So yeah. move on, move on. <laughs> that's one for me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Amy, thanks for joining us today on Making Fun of Marketing. And do you want to plug anything or point anyone into the direction of finding some of your content to help their content. Yeah, all I would say is just head to content10x.com. So content10x.com. If you have any interest at all in finding out more about maximizing and repurposing content. So hundreds upon hundreds of free content on there. And then if you want help with doing it, then there's information about that too. Any tips and advice on distribution and repurposing of content, then content10x.com is the place to go. Fantastic. 
Well, thanks for joining us and sharing those awesome insights. I know that I even learned quite a bit on this episode, so that's fantastic. If you want to hear more episodes of Making Fun of Market, you can check it out at the listing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or even just go to chronologic.com forward slash podcast, and you can catch more of those episodes. Please like and subscribe. And uh, thank you again for joining us. Hopefully this was a bright spot in your day. You can go ahead and listen to more episodes at chronologic.com forward slash podcast and give us a five-star review and subscribe if you just want to hear more and get a bet. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day, everyone.